Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Thank you for uh, drawing our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who we're here to celebrate today. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning. Today's Communion Sunday, so we're going to take a little break from the book of Revelation. And we're going to look back into the wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, where we have been learning about life under the sun or not. Solomon takes different positions about worldviews, and if we believe this, this is uh, life is meaningless. If there is no God, if there's nothing above the sun, but if there is something above the sun, it changes everything. And this morning he takes a position of there is something above the sun. And he's going to talk to us this morning about uh, guarding our worship in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. And I've entitled it, The Guarded Worshipper. Are you a guarded worshiper? What does it even mean to be a guarded worshiper? Is worship something that we need to guard? How does this work? Well, we've got a lot to cover this morning, so I'm going to jump right in. This is actually part one of a two-part uh, sermon series. Um, of course, the next part will be preached next Communion Sunday, and it will cover all seven verses. But this morning I will read all seven verses, but we will not make it past the first verse this morning. There's a lot there. And uh, I, I do want to warn you that God very well, may step on our toes this morning. Um, But if he does, I'm glad, because if God steps on our toes, it's only because we need it. God only steps on our toes, not to be mean, but because we need it. He he, uh, breaks us only so that we will be healed properly and correctly. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, first seven verses. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much Busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So that's where the title comes from, the guarded worshiper. Verse 1, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. And that word guard means what you probably think it means. It means to guard something, to, to keep something, to watch over it. Uh, and to protect it. And so when we walk, we do well to guard our steps in that, in that way physically or literally. We want to not just, it's not enough just to know how to walk, 
but we also need to know how to be aware of our surroundings. Uh, Otherwise, you can walk smack into a door, walk smack into somebody else. You have to watch where you're going so you don't uh, injure your feet stepping on the kids' toys. It's just a little more complicated than knowing how to walk. We have to be on our guard, and we have to know our surroundings. So how does this apply to worship? Well, these worshipers in this passage, they're obviously walking to the house of the Lord, which is the temple, which we will get into a little bit, but that's the context. They're going to a physical location. And of course, because they have to travel there, um, and most of them walk, they didn't get in their vehicles like we do today. They walked there. They had to literally watch their step. You know, there was a path that would take them to the temple, depending on what direction they were coming from. Watch out for maybe loose rocks. Watch out for uh, donkey fertilizer and different things that might be on the trail before you as you go to the house. But it's much more than that, I think we realize. When we go to the temple, uh, Solomon, uh, the preacher, the teacher here, the professor, is telling us to watch not just our step, but mostly to to be aware of your surroundings. Watch where you're going. Be aware of who you are and who you're about to approach. Watch your attitude. Watch uh, the the attitude of your heart, the attitude of your mind. So be aware that you're kind of leaving one one sphere and entering into another. Each step is taking you one step closer to an encounter with the living God. So there's this idea of, of being prepared and having a watchful heart whenever we come into the house of the Lord or whenever we desire to pay our respects to the Lord. And of course, the opposite is that we don't want to just uh, haphazardly step into the presence of the Lord without any kind of thought, without any kind of preparation, just walk right in. We have to be aware of our holy surroundings. There are two scriptures that might help us with uh, this concept of watching our step and keeping our guard. And one is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5. And that's where God appears before Moses as the burning bush. And he, the bush, God, through, uh, out of the burning bush, speaks to Moses. And having just appeared, he says, Remove your sandals, Moses. You are on holy ground. And see, that teaches us that the the atmosphere, Moses was just in the desert. He was just playing the role of a shepherd. He's out in the wilderness, and that's all it is. But when God appears, the surroundings change. Things just drastically and automatically change. There's a new attitude, a new atmosphere, so much where God says, things have changed, take off your shoes. And that is a way to, to humble yourself before the presence of God. It's a way to um, show your great respect for God, to, to communicate to Him that you realize who you are and that you're unworthy and He's worthy. And so, in essence, now you are in God's house and you are to play by God's rules. You don't live the same. You don't think the same the closer you get into the presence of God. So the shoes have to go as a sign of humility, reverence, and respect. I guess it's another way of saying watch your step. Guard your heart. And then there's another verse um, in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 12 through 13. And it's used in a negative sense regarding coming in the presence of God 
in the temple. And he says, when you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. And so we get some insight into the way God looks at how we approach Him, how we come to Him to worship. And He sees that some are just coming into His house, coming into the temple with no respect, no reverence. It's not that they're just not watching their literal steps and maybe they're, they're bumping into the offering plate or bumping into each other, messing up the worshipers or the singers. It's that they have dangerous hearts. They have unkept, sloppy, wayward hearts. And they just come into God's house as if they're not in some holy place before some kind of holy being. They are trampling it. They're not respecting His rules, His people. And they're in there perhaps like it's, well, it's just a a social club or it's just a, a game of some kind. It's just an opportunity for me to... Uh, stretch my vocal cords and show off my singing abilities. And God sees that kind of attitude and lack of reverence and preparation as a form of trampling in His temple. Of course, as I said, the specific context of this passage is literal worshipers in the Old Testament going to the temple. This would be Solomon's temple, a very grand, beautiful temple. And if you wanted to worship God in that day in the way that He required of you, you would have to, no matter where you lived, you'd have to make a journey at some point. There were specific times of the year, several times a year, where you would have to make a journey. That was part of the covenant. Yes, you can worship God out in the field and in your house and wherever you are, but also a part of that is fulfilling the requirements of the covenant and worshiping Him through the whole sacrificial system. It's all a part of the whole package there. Uh, They could worship, you know, when they were exiled, of course they worshiped God the best they could under the circumstances. And we know that Daniel and other strong believers, they just prayed to the Lord and they kept worshiping Him and they kept reverence in, in their hearts. And that's all good, but that there was something missing. It's not the whole part and parcel of the covenant and the relationship that God called His people into. And so, to be a worshiper in the Old Testament, at some point you have to make the trip. You have to travel and when you came into God's house you were coming to a place that sure you made but God was the architect of the temple so you have this God of heaven that reveals himself to people and he he reveals who he is and his character but he also reveals how he is to be worshipped it's not a free-for-all you know, we even have certain, we have to use our emotions in a certain way. There are some things that are prohibited and some things that are inhibited and things like that. But even the design of the temple, when you came into it, he was the architect of that. He instructed them where to put things, what to put in it, what to keep out of it. And, you know, you find in, in the end it was beautiful and it was grand. But there were courts, there were sections walled off by God's design. You had the court of men, you had the court of women, you had priests that could go here, and then you had in in the very center, uh, you had the Holy of Holies where only the priests could go in once a year to meet with the living God, and that's where 
God's glory was. And there was just a lot of different aspects of ministry that were going on all at the same time. And that's all by God's design. Because this specific one and only God has specific ways that please Him. So uh, they are His desires, but also what He requires of His people. There are ways to worship Him. And it was by His sovereign choice. The temple's an expression of His character. So literally speaking, by His sovereign choice, if you lived in that day anywhere in the world, if you lived anywhere in the world and for whatever reason you came to know this God, then if you wanted to meet with Him because He chose to locate in this one place, though He's larger and can't be contained by anything that He created, He chose by His sovereign choice to connect with mankind in this one location. And so, no matter where you were in the face of the earth, if you wanted to connect with God in that way, you had to make a trip. And when you made that trip, you were to approach Him in a certain way and worship Him in a certain way. That place, because of God's presence, just like the wilderness, because of God's presence with the burning bush, all of a sudden, the geography and the just became a a sacred place. The temple was a sacred place because God's presence was there. When God's presence leaves, it's Ichabod. It just lost its meaning. It's lost its fullness. It's lost its richness. The gold's still there and so forth. The beauty might be there, but God's not there. So it's a whole different aspect. But when God is in the house and He deserves this certain kind and level of reverence and respect, So, anybody in the world in that day had to go at some point or other if they were going to worship God the way He required to that temple. Now, you know that today we don't have a temple. And that under the new covenant, God's people are the temple. And we are so incredibly blessed by the promise and the fulfillment of the new covenant. And so, God's people are instructed uh, instructed to worship Him In specific ways, though, uh, just because we don't all go to one place, we are still to gather. And so now the rules have changed a little bit. The rules of worship have changed a little bit um, under the new covenant. And that is we don't all go to one place, but we gather in local places, what would be the local church. We still gather. We still come together. We still worship Him together. It's a corporate phenomenon and requirement. It's just that it's not the same as going to that one place. And that's because under the new covenant, the whole uh, philosophy or theology has changed in witnessing to the world. And under the New Testament was God's grandeur was all located in one place and you would have to come here and Israel was to be a light to all the nations. Well, now the church, rather than everybody come here, the, the church is under the... You know, the mandate to go out into all the world. So we don't bring all the world here. We go out into all the world and we form little local churches. We, this, whoever the redeemed are, whoever the saints are in that area, whether it's in the jungles of Guatemala or in Egypt, wherever we are, we gather the redeemed together and at preferably once a week on the Sabbath day, we come and we worship God, this unique God. And we worship Him according to how He has required us 
to worship him. Now, a lot of times um, we want to keep this in mind because one of the things that I run into today, and I always have run into this since I've been a, a pastor, is a, a lack of um, understanding, I guess I would say, for the importance of the local gathering in the local church. And that some have come to me and said, you know, I love God, I'm a believer. And I feel closer to God when I'm out in nature. And so I have my church out in nature. I don't really feel like I need to be connected to a local body. But when I'm just rowing down that beautiful river, or when I'm on the top of a mountain looking at the vista, and I'm enjoying God through His creation, and that's my worship. And I would say, yeah, that's wonderful. As a matter of fact, that's general revelation. And God created things so breathtakingly marvelous and beautiful that the whole idea is that we would look at canyons and mountains and flowers and trees and and the, the textures and the colors and just it would take our breath away. And therefore we would say, wow, this is so breathtaking. The creator must be even more breathtaking. That's the job of general revelation. But there's special revelation. And general revelation takes us this far, and special revelation that God's speaking to us takes us where we need to be. And in that special revelation, we find that God has a calling and requirements on His people and His saints. He wants us not to just worship Him the way that we prefer or what makes us feel the best, He actually wants to retrain our feelings and our preferences to come into line with what He not only desires, but what He requires. And one of those things is that we continue together, gather together as the people of God in the local church and worship Him. That's why in the New Testament we hear language. Now, again, we're we're not the temple, but we're still the household of God. So it's not completely lost. In Galatians 6, the, uh, the apostle calls God's people the household of God. And what do you do? You come to your house. You're either home or you're not. In Ephesians 2, he calls us members of the household of God. And then Matthew 16, 18, of course, when he's talking to Peter, he says, you're the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. So Jesus is building this thing called a church. It's the ecclesia. What is that? Assembly. It's when all the individual parts assemble together and worship Him in a corporate way. So there's not just one local church that we all have to attend, but many, many local churches. And in that sense, the rules have changed. So yeah, we should worship God wherever we are in the planet. Uh, We should appreciate Him wherever we are on the planet. And that is a part of our dynamic relationship with Him. We should stand in awe of Him. But there is also coming to the house of God, approaching the house of God for specific requirements and ways to worship Him. And when we do that, we need to watch our hearts. And I would say, though some, some believers want to say, well, now that we're all the temple of God, Corporate worship is no longer important in the New Testament. And I would say it's just the opposite. 
corporate worship is now elevated to a new level because look what we know now. Look what we have to celebrate in Christ in His death and resurrection that the Old Testament believers longed to see what we are able to see and know now. We have even more reason to come together and, and lock arms and join in the faith of Jesus Christ and singing His praise and learning and growing together. So we guard our worship. We guard our worship. It does take preparation. It does take some time. We're not to flippantly come into the presence of God. And we guard it by watching our step. That is watching our attitudes. Coming before God already. Before we get here with a proper attitude. Not waiting for others to, to, to bring us to that place. And being aware of our atmosphere. And I know that this is just a building. Technically speaking, it's just material, pro- material products. The same thing we probably have in our houses. Floors and carpet and chairs and things. But in addition to that, God promises that He is present with His people. That means when we gather corporately, the presence of God, the Spirit of God is literally here. And because of that fact, our attitudes need to rally behind that and come in line with the reality of the presence of God. And so we can, though there's no temple, we can still come into the presence of God with hearts that are ready to worship Him because we have guarded it. We've watched our step. Scripture is replete with revelation. Not only does God um, reveal that He's the one and only true God, but also that there's a right way to worship Him. We do not, contrary to proper a popular belief get to just worship God any way we feel or that feels right to us in the New Testament I mean in the Old Testament here's what that looked like you don't get to worship any God and make him into what he is in, in the Old Testament they had this God Molech and the way that they the mankind depraved uh, humanity decided this God needed to be worshipped what would please him is child sacrifice so they offered their children, their children to this God. So that's man in his own efforts of religion trying to connect with something that's out there. And it falls short. He didn't, he didn't hit the mark on that at all. Now you have the other examples of the uh, Hittites and the Canaanites where they had the God Astarte. Uh, their idea is, well, we want to be have big families, we want, we want fertile fields, we want lots of crops and harvests. So they wound up establishing or building a temple to this God and it turned into a free-for-all well, sexual experience. You have temple prostitutes because that's a symbol of the fertility that you want to be present in your life. Now, these are ways that man comes up with how maybe it feels right or we should worship God. Sacrifice our children and a sexual free-for-all. And God, the real God, comes into the picture and says, I'm the one God, the true God, and there's actually a right way to worship me, and here it is. And he gives us lots of requirements on, how, on what that looks like. Because if he did not reveal this to us, we would still be dead in our sins. We would still be worshiping who knows what in who knows what way. 
And you see examples of that, unfortunately, still today. So thank God for His revelation. We learn not just what He's like, but what He likes through His revelation. So worshiping the right God in the right way. Our God is not like any other God. He just isn't. I mean, read the books. Look at the options out there. He's not like any other God. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's, he's transcendent. Yet he's, he's intimate and imminent with us. He's present with us now. He's working in our hearts and our minds. And we know this because he tells us. We don't always know it because we feel it. But we know it because he tells us. And he is a God that only speaks truth. The opposite of this preparing our heart in our text. God calls worshipers, winds up calling them fools. Because they haven't guarded their hearts. And they're fools because they're making all these sacrifices based on their own conclusions of what might please the God. And it falls way short. And how sad it is that Sometimes we make the wrong sacrifices or the enemy would have us give up the wrong things in an effort to please the wrong God or the right God in the wrong way. And the way we avoid that, it's not that sacrifices aren't being made, but the way we avoid that is by watching our step as we worship. Worship. Remember, the word comes from worth-ship. It's ascribing worth. How do we do that? There are specific ways that we can ascribe worth to God. It's, it's reverence. It's respect. It's lining our ambitions, our goals, and our emotions up with His revealed will and His revealed word. So, practically speaking, Watching our step means that there should be a consistency in our worship. When we're coming to the household of God, there are some things that we would probably want to check in our hearts. And one of those things is, are we consistent worship worshipers? Or do we just worship God one day a week on the Sabbath, on our Sabbath? And then we live like pagans the rest of the week. So he gets one out of seven. Instead of seven out of seven. That's foolishness. God requires obedience, he says, rather than sacrifice. And there is some belief, even today in Christendom, that when you go to church, if you're on your best behavior one day a week, and you really behave yourself during that church service, that you got some points, and then you can kind of just live the rest, however you want to live the rest of the week. And God would call that hypocrisy. And he hates it. It's provoking to him for people to act like they love him, to act like they respect him, only under certain circumstances, and then do the exact opposite. And sometimes, if we're not careful, there can actually even, we can create a culture of hypocrisy. So you know that in worship, there are basically two kinds of services that we have. There's uh, what you might call um, formal, the liturgical services. Maybe you'd, you'd say high church and then informal. 
It doesn't take a genius to take one look at this church and realize it's informal. Um, I, I pastor an informal church. I'm not against high church. But anyway, I pastor an informal church. I was raised in high church. I was raised in a formal church as Catholic. And things were completely different there with the service. It's nothing like what we do. The service begins with the priest coming in. It's a procession. Like I just sit here and just walk right up here. There's a whole procession. The Bible is held up. It's very reverent. It's very ceremonial. And every symbol means something deeply. But the priest comes and he, he would walk up the aisle and come onto the chancel and he'd have his altar boys with him and different things. In there. And, and not just not a tie, but a robe, priestly robes and so forth. It's... And there's a whole, I grew up with this, it's a whole atmosphere of great respect and reverence and ceremony and symbolism. And um, there is nothing wrong with that. I, I have learned to appreciate that. However, I will say that it, that kind of atmosphere can also create a culture of hypocrisy because what I did, my confession, and what I witnessed others do is that, wow, this is really respectful, uh, a holy place. I need to be careful and watch my step while I'm here and act like I'm really worshiping God. You know, and do, do all the ceremonies and the knees and the prayers and the resuscitations. And then as soon as I get out of there, it's as if that never took place. There's no consistency. And not only did that... I do that, but it was a little bit of a culture of that because my friends did that as well. I mean, I played sports with them. Uh, I partied with these people that I went to church with and that was just a, a hypocritic culture there. Not consistent. Now, that was my heart. I'm not blaming high church because that can happen in informal congregations. You just don't have to be as good of an actor because the ceremonies aren't quite as... Rich. Hypocrisy can come from any kind, but because it comes from the heart. We have to be careful here. That even in our informal church, that we don't create this culture of, well, that certain individual must really be close to God, and then you see him during the week doing things, and you realize that's no consistency. See, that's a practical way for us to guard our hearts before the Lord. As we come into our presence, our outward actions don't always translate to our inward attitudes, but they should. And that's part of preparing for worship. So, faith is a lifestyle, right? For Christianity, it's a lifestyle. It's something we go to bed with it, we wake up with it. We don't get rid of it. It's something that, that consumes us and we're we're enveloped in the presence of God. So are we a guarded worshiper? Do we watch our step? Or do we just carelessly come into the house of God and gather with the saints and wait for this or wait for that and go with the flow? There is a preparation in a proper way. And the second thing that we can do to guard our worship, our text says, is open your ears. So guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better 
than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know they are doing evil. And this is another thing that we want to hone in on a little bit because you know, modern day concept of worship is often defined as singing. When you hear the word worship, you, we, we automatically think of singing. What are those people doing over there? They're worshiping God because they're singing. That is true, but it's part of a whole truth of what worship takes place in the service. And listening is worshiping God, just like singing. If you have a great voice and you sing and you join in that, that's wonderful. That's a part of it. But listening is a verb too. It's something we do. Just listening to the Word of God is a form of worship, a very important form of worship. Just coming ready with our ears open. Our hearts are ready. We have the right attitude. We're in this. Our atmosphere has changed. We're in the presence of God. And now our ears are listening for what God might have to say to us. Listening to God. It's doing something to sit there or to stand there and listen. Because we're listening to God's holy word. This is special divine revelation. We are hearing things that no human has written. We're hearing things that we would never hear had God not revealed Himself to us graciously and lovingly. And it's not just useless information. He reveals to us the very things that our hearts and minds need to hear. It's practical and it's spiritual because He created the universe. He has a design for it. It works a certain way and He's so kind to let us know in the midst of our waywardness, and missing the mark, what the true bullseye is in life. And how we can reach it. And how we can attain it. It's a royal treasury. Every word is a gift to us. And we need every word. And so one of the ways that we guard our hearts and come prepared is come with open ears to hear what God would have to say to us. Otherwise, we're fools. We come in, we don't listen, and we leave. We leave unchanged. We leave and we're still doing evil. How can that be true? Well, because we didn't listen to the Word of God. And the Word of God informs us and the Word of God transforms us. And if you just come all this way and tune God out, you didn't hear a thing, then you left unchanged. That's foolish. It's foolish to be here and have no, uh, no intention of paying any respects to God. Not seeing our need for God. When God's word ceases to go forth or when people cease to listen to it in a house of God, we're in trouble. Because the reverence and the value and the worship, the holiness and the atmosphere, everything starts to dissipate. And it gets notched down a level and notched down a level. And then you have people that just flippantly and trample into the house of God and each other and do what they want to do. We need the Word of God. We need to listen to the Word of God because faith comes from hearing. And I know that it's popular. I know that great stories are wonderful and fuzzy. Testimonies are, are, way, are wonderful and fuzzy. And, and showcasing speakers are fun to watch. Animated speakers and all of that. I understand that. 
But that's not where faith comes from. Scripture says God's Word is what builds us. We can't grow into the Christians that we need to be with fluffy testimonies. They have their place. But that's not what's going to grow us in what we need to be. It's the solid Word of God that we need to hear. And we do that by coming here and perking up our ears and listening to what God has revealed to us. So one of the ways that I guard myself and you as a pastor is, is by preaching through books of the Bible. You know, expository preaching. There's a reason behind it. And it, it holds me accountable to God. Because it keeps me from succumbing to the temptation of just saying, that's a powerful passage. They'll like that. I'm going to preach on this. this oh, this is a pre- powerful passage. This will get them going. I'm going to preach on this. And this is about love over here. And they need to hear about that. And it actually prevents me from just turning to the passages and nitpicking things that might be popular or might make us feel good. But I go through the Bible uh, book by book, verse by verse. That way we're having, we're forcing ourselves to listen to what God says. All of it. The whole counsel And not just, well, dad said this and dad said that. And not telling you the rest of the things that dad said. And then what kind of Christians are we? And so that keeps me accountable to listening to God's word in this royal treasury that we have. Where every word is a gift of God. So do we we guard our hearts? Is this our practice? Is this our habit? Do we guard our hearts just... By listening. Now there's a pitfall here as evangelicals. Because we know the word of God is so important. A big temptation. Yeah, I fall into it. A big temptation because God's word is so important is to critique and grade the speaker of God's word. Now I'm not guarding myself. I do this. Because God's word is so important, it's help. We hold it high, I hold it in high esteem. And then rather than listening to God's word, somewhere along the line, I started critiquing or grading the delivery of the message. Now, delivery is important. I'm not undercutting delivery. Forgive me for preaching boring sermons. I know I do it. I don't do it on purpose. Some texts are hard. Some texts are hard to be excited about. And I ask your forgiveness because God is incredible. And for me to preach a a boring uh, sermon is just, it's not right and I try to avoid it, but I know that that happens. So forgive me for it. Delivery is important. Uh, But I should be here primarily to hear what God has to say. Not how so-and-so said it or you know, there was something flickering in the background. All these things where the enemy would distract us from just hearing a simple message of what God had to say. And that's my heart. I need to come guarded and, and push out the distractions. I am here to sit in the presence of God and to listen to God. The moment we become spectators and critics... It's the moment we become fools. We're foolish worshipers. And I think evangelicals are prone to that. 
So by guarding our worship, it means taking personal responsibility to come prepared and to want to listen, to hold God in such high esteem and His Word in such high esteem that we want to listen to Him. That is our responsibility. It is not fair for us to come here with gloomy hearts and put all the burden on the worship team and the music playing to lift our spirits. That's, that's foolish. We have the, the personal responsibility to engage in whatever songs are being played and to engage in worship and to engage in listening whatever text is being preached or spoken or read. We will want to listen to this God if we know Him properly because we will know that He alone has the words of life. He alone has the words of life. You will not get these messages anywhere else but through God's holy word, God's people, God's servants whom He's called together, whom He has gifted with these heavenly powers to get us to the places that He desires us to be. Listen to God. Now, I can't resist this illustration because I was raised in the 70s and 80s. There was a commercial that played a lot. And it was actually a very... uh, it was one of those commercials that was good, it was good marketing. <clears throat> you, it got your attention. In the 70s or 80s, very successful marketing campaign uh, for the second largest financial brokerage in America at that time. All right? And it, it was so popular that it wouldn't surprise me that there are some of you that actually absorbed that marketing and could finish what I'm about to say. I will do a little experiment this morning. When E.F. Hutton talks, ooh, look at that. That commercial was outstanding. You had, like, it was always in this really busy place. There's hundreds of people, and every one of them are in this intense conversation. They're talking to each other, and it's just nothing but noise. And then all of a sudden, it's... You could hear a pin drop. Why? Because the name E.F. Hutton happened to be mentioned in the hundreds of conversations that were taking place. And actors, of course, they just stopped in their tracks and they quieted their souls and they didn't want to miss a single word of financial advice that E.F. Hutton had to offer because he was so good, the company was so good, it could take your portfolio to a new level. Don't miss it. You can't afford to miss it. I love that commercial. And I like how it happens to apply to the passage, right? Because that's the attitude. That if we hold God and His Word in that kind of esteem, When he starts talking, we will quiet our souls. Whatever else we were thinking about or talking about, mm -mm. quiet our souls and just give our ears to the Lord. 
in what he has to say. So, to conclude, foolish people in this passage are marked by two things. The opposite. That is, they don't guard their hearts. They don't watch their steps. They trample things. They run into things. There's there's no reverence. There's no respect. They don't make that transition of atmosphere that now you're in the presence of God And if you desire to worship him, he's actually informed us what that looks like and how we can do it, how to come prepared. And it's our job and responsibility to do that. And only fools do not do that, Scripture says. And the other thing is, fools don't listen. They might be in the presence of God. They might be in the house of God. The Word of God may be going forth, but they are not listening. They're not tuning in. And therefore, they go and they're not changed. And they still do evil. Why? Because uh, Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, training, correcting, and righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. And we're not hearing what God is saying. You need to take this off and put this on. You need to not do this, but you need to do this. And we, when we don't hear that, we just keep doing whatever it is we're doing, which is evil and it's foolish. So wise people prepare their hearts to worship God. Isn't it interesting when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray? He gave them a prayer, and I know we all, I'm sure we all pray it. But what's the very beginning of the prayer? The Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's how we start. Before you get rush into all your needs and all the things that we have and all of our hurts and so forth, and He knows about all those things. Hallowed be thy name. Before I say another word, about myself, I just want to come into your presence and recognize who I'm talking about. In other words, watch your step, right? Guard your heart. I want to realize who I'm talking about. I'm not just talking to my little sister anymore, my spouse. I'm talking to you. Rules change because you're in God's house. When you're in God's house, you live by God's rules. So, New Covenant Fellowship, by God's grace, Let us guard our worship. May God bless the preaching of his word. And we have an opportunity now uh, to worship him in sincerity of heart and come together and enjoy the